Imagine that your hair was sampled for its constituent components, similar to a drug test. A hair follicle is tested to determine the source of carbon in your body. Would you be surprised to learn that most of that carbon is from corn? But I don't even eat that much corn, you would say. Big Ag Corn, the miles and miles and miles of corn in Iowa and Colorado and more states, ends up in beef and soft drinks and high fructose corn syrup and in burger buns and corn oil for french fries. You and I are almost literally children of the corn. Horror to follow. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 92. Hello. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Surf on over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts to find all the previous shows, show notes, pages. From that podcasts page, you can also follow the Culinary Libertarian on various social media, as well as join the Eating Liberty Facebook group. Click the support hyperlink to find all the podcatchers carrying the Culinary Libertarian podcast, as well as some affiliate banners. The Tom Woods Liberty Classroom and McClanahan Academy are both top-notch, on-the-go history content courses, each class running about 30 minutes long. Liberty Classroom also covers more subjects, currently at over 24 courses. Click the Kiko's Cakes banner to get baking and pastry tutorial videos from an accomplished pastry chef. Make an amazing July 4th dessert for your Independence Day feast. And don't forget to order your coffee mug gifts from Cranky Without Coffee by clicking the banner on that page. The last way you can support the show is with a rating and a review on your favorite podcatcher and subscribe to the show as well on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast player. Big Ag. We know the name. Usually just one. Monsanto. If you're old enough to remember the farming bubble popping in the 1980s and movie studios hurrying to get the next farm-failing drama to the screens, the age of big farming is well known. Later this year, as the presidential debates get rolling, we might hear again about farming, and specifically, corn subsidies. Big Ag, short for Big Agriculture, is big business. The miles and miles and miles of corn don't really reveal all that goes on behind the scenes of GMOs and bioengineering and pesticides and alternative uses for corn such as ethanol and high fructose corn syrup and plastics and animal feed and on. 
Agriculture in the U.S. has been a long-standing issue, and the where to start question is a good one. For this episode, I've chosen to start with the USDA Secretary Earl Butts, who served for Nixon and Carter. For the focus of this episode, Butts served at the start of big farming. He was a colorful character, crass and rude, and fond of pushing farmers to produce with phrases such as go big or get out and plant fence row to fence row, which was a ding at the New Deal plan to keep portions of fields fallow. A paragraph from an online article titled A Reflection of the Lasting Legacy of 1970s USDA Secretary Earl Butts, published on February 8, 2008, on grist.com reads, quote, Blustering, boisterous, and often vulgar, Butts lorded over the U.S. farm scene at a key period. He plunged a pitchfork into New Deal agricultural policies that sought to protect farmers from the big agribusiness companies whose interests he openly pushed, end quote. Butts was an aggressive fan of international agribusiness. Overproduction wasn't a concern for Butts, for any surplus would be sold overseas, which is exactly what happened in 1972. From the same article on grist.com, quote, Butts engineered a massive grain sale to the Soviets in 1972. The move worked dramatically. The Soviets essentially bought up the U.S. grain reserve just as a widespread drought hit the Midwest, end quote. I will put a link to this article on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 92. With the grain reserves gone and a drought destroying the expected 1973 harvest, low supply meant higher prices for farmers. In such a time, this was when he would chant, plant fence row to fence row when go big or get out. Midwestern farmers complied taking on debt to buy more land and more machines to plant and harvest more corn. There are several things happening at the same time. Farmers are being almost dared to plant more, which they did. Research companies for seeds and fertilizers and pesticides were also busy innovating. Also happening in the 1970s was a rising interest rate from central banks, and the chickens were coming home to roost, so to speak. Small family farms were crushed under the debt taken on to compete in corn, and in the 1980s, the farm bubble burst. Prices fell, interest rates climbed, and tens of thousands of farms went bankrupt. There's more I want to bring up, including subsidies and a company called ADM. But first, let me tell you about my affiliate, Lobster Anywhere. When you order live Maine lobsters from Lobster Anywhere, you can trust the quality. Lobster Anywhere does, in fact, ship to just about anywhere in the U.S. Sorry, overseas orders cannot be fulfilled. Lobster Anywhere features fresh, live Maine lobsters, Maine lobster and fresh seafood and frozen lobster tails, 
and other tasty treats. Lobster Anywhere is your trusted source for the best hard-shell Maine lobster delivery to your front door overnight, guaranteed. Available year-round from a sustainable fishery and locally caught by independent fishermen, Lobster Anywhere specializes in live Maine lobsters and frozen lobster tail delivery. In addition to live Maine lobsters, Lobster Anywhere also sells frozen lobster tails in the shell and shelled lobster meat, lobster roll sandwiches, chowders, bisque, and surf and turf dinners. For this 4th of July, celebrate with grilled lobster from Lobster Anywhere. The fresh Maine lobsters have over 300 five-star reviews from raving fans. Lobster Anywhere lobsters are packed to guarantee you get live lobsters and with lobster, fresh is best. The Lobster Anywhere website also has cooking tips and recipes and videos on their Lobster University tab. Learn everything you need to know about how to cook and enjoy your lobster. And when you order from Lobster Anywhere, you earn sand dollar points, which you can redeem at checkout for a discount on your purchase price. Click the banner on the show notes page or type culinarylibertarian.com slash mainlobster into your browser to start shopping for the best hard shell Maine lobsters on the internet. Be the host with the most this 4th of July with live Maine lobsters from Lobster Anywhere. Visit culinarylibertarian.com slash mainlobster to order today. Now let's get back into the show. The Earl Butts mandate to plant fence row to fence row created more supply. That seems plain. In choosing the Butts area as the starting point, I have excluded the Hoover and FDR administrations from the discussion, but they are relevant to the big picture, just not for this episode. It's just too much for one whole podcast, one whole episode. The one relevant point I will introduce is that subsidies really get a foothold then. FDR's idea to keep the corners of the fields fallow meant paying farmers not to grow crops. Near the end of the movie, King Corn, the filmmakers Ian Cheney and Kurt Ellis interview Butts, who comments that paying farmers to not grow corn was stupid. The film covers the two filmmakers as they grow one acre of dead corn in Iowa and also follow where that corn goes in the food system. The movie is well worth watching. The sheer magnitude of corn in the food system and the size of the food system just for corn and beef is impossible to exaggerate. I'll put a link to the movie on the show notes page because I think you should rent this and watch this because it's it's a little mind-boggling. Corn is massively overproduced. That may be the legacy of robots. What followed that 1973 drought was more record harvests and more land planted with more corn. As the industry of corn grew, new industry developed or appeared. Go big or get out was to the farmer, but it also was to the tractor factories and the banks with loans and the innovation for uses for mountains of excess corn. Companies 
large companies such as Cargill and Archer Daniels Midland, which is the ADM I mentioned, got into the production of high fructose corn syrup. If you're a fan of Breaking Bad, making high fructose corn syrup is not unlike making meth as done by Walter White. It is made with chemicals you can't really buy in the store. In the movie King Corn, the filmmakers do succeed at making a small batch. And they both tasted it. And, <laughs> well, you watch the movie find out how they responded to it. But they did it. It wasn't easy. Like Porky Pig shooting Daffy Duck, don't try this at home. From all this corn, high fructose corn syrup is made and finds its way into nearly everything we eat. Sweeteners for sodas, juices, the corn as feed for cattle, cornstarch and baked goods, and hydrolyzed corn protein. This is the unseen corn I mentioned last week. The agribusiness, agri-industry more correctly, is a magnificently huge source of government dollars, that is to say, yours and my dollars. The two fellows who planted that acre of corn lost money. Almost 20 bucks for that acre. Multiply that by thousands of acres, and that's a lot of money to lose. But with the subsidy for growing corn, they came out ahead. And with more subsidies they didn't even know about, they were in the clear. All right. Let's pause for a minute. I want to tell you about another podcast called Tasting Anarchy. Here's Jake and Mason to tell you more. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. Part of what makes big ag noteworthy is the massive amounts of currency involved in the system. There are some major players with names more or less known in everyday speech, ADN, which I mentioned, Cargill, Monsanto, to name just three. Each has its own piece of the cob, so to speak. In 1995, James Bovard, writing for the Cato Institute, wrote Cato Institute Policy Analysis Number 241, Archer Daniels Midland, a case study in corporate welfare. And he writes of ADM, quote, The Archer Daniels Midland Corporation, ADM, has been the most prominent recipient of corporate welfare in recent U.S. history. ADM and its chairman, Duane Andreas, have lavishly fertilized both political parties with millions of dollars in handouts and in return have reaped billion-dollar windfalls from taxpayers and consumers, end quote. I'll put a link to the report on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 92. I bring up 1995 to share this, quote, at least 43% of ADM's annual profits are from products heavily subsidized or protected by the American government. Moreover, 
Every $1 of profits earned by ADM's corn sweetener operation costs consumers $10. And every $1 of profits earned by its ethanol operations costs taxpayers $30. End quote. Now, it's true since 1995, ethanol didn't realize, <laughs> sort of petered out. Things have changed a little bit since 1995, but it still remains an excellent example of corporate welfare. I introduced this 1995 article to show you that the problem was big and remains big. It has not gone away. Subsidies, subsidies are still in the $30 billion a year area, and that's a really good area. In farm insurance, is over $40 billion over five years. To paraphrase Captain Smeck, that's a lot of billions, Tony. Farm subsidies is inside political baseball. The real winners are the politicians who drive a desk decade after decade. The subsidy program as it stands is not needed. Now, it's very easy to say, I see a problem. Big ag corn is a problem. What is not easy is to find a solution. That is not to suggest a solution is impossible. Far from it. New Zealand stopped nearly all farmer subsidies in 1984. The article in New Zealand, The Farmers Don't Want Subsidies, published by the Cato Institute at Cato.org in 2012, Mark Ross and Chris Edwards wrote, quote, just 1% of the country's farmers could not adjust and were forced out. The vast majority of New Zealand farmers proved to be skilled entrepreneurs. They restructured their operations, explored new markets, and returned to profitability. Today, New Zealand's farming sector is more dynamic than ever, and the nation's farmers are proud to be prospering without government handouts, end quote. Yes, New Zealand isn't the U.S., but the status quo seems a woefully bad plan. The vast amount of those subsidies intended for small farms goes to the giants who, if anybody has cushion to survive, it would be them. The monoculture of corn or soy and pesticides is wreaking havoc on the soil and the people, a point John Moody made back on episode 42. I'll link to both the Cato piece and the John episode also on the show notes page. Big Ag is a big bite. I've done the barest of presentations. I hope that at least you've found some of the many ways corn is unseen in nearly every product you buy that has a wrapper or a package to the livestock on your plate, the bag you use to tote the stuff home. Corn's in everything, including us. Part of the solution isn't to you know, go ahead and contact your legislatures, of course, and Contact your legislator, your congressional representatives, and tell them to pass and support Thomas Massey's Prime Act, which gets, uh, which makes the your local butcher allowed to sell to you. That was something we covered a few episodes back with um, Pete Kennedy. 
this eating this is the didactic portion of the show. Eating needs to become more local than before, than ever. Well, that may not be true. Than <laughs> than in recent memory. Uh, so summer's here. Plant a garden. Uh, help your neighbors plant a garden and grow different stuff. Uh, find people who have chickens and work deals and part of part of the the way eating local helps is you're keeping your currency really truly in your neighborhood and and if you're bartering you're growing carrots and they're growing kohlrabi switch a little bit uh same thing for the eggs find out what that person wants maybe currency isn't the thing maybe you knit and they want something knit this building community by feeding ourselves seems to be the right response to a world gone mad. And it also helps get out of that mainstream, you know, like I-95 I of food. It's this, I can't think of a bigger one, I-75 or I-10. Just get off the freeway of industrial food. And I think lots of good things happen, starting with better health and better communities. And that sounds like a really good place to begin. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll have some of the links, including the link to King Corn, the movie I mentioned, on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 92. Buy local and eat local is a good idea. Even from the large grocery store, that's local in the sense that the people who work there are local. As true as that is, find cottage bakers in your area. Go to the flea markets and see who's selling there. Buy from butcher shops instead of from grocery stores. They tend to be more regional in their sourcing. I've asked you to ask your congressional representative to support the Prime Act. You can take steps to get out of the mainstream food system by buying and eating locally, which means those things I mentioned, the butcher shop or the cottage industry, and keeping the sense of food community going. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> Let me come back and fix that.